Welcome to another episode of Talking Underwater. One water, one podcast. I'm Bob Crossan, Editorial Director for Waterworld and Wastewater Digest. This episode is sponsored by Badger Meter. Badger Meter has been an innovator in flow measurement, water quality, and control products, serving water utilities, municipalities, and commercial and industrial customers around the globe. Its smart water metering solutions provide actionable intelligence that enables customers to optimize the delivery and use of their water to maximize revenue and reduce waste. More importantly, Badger Meter has made a couple of acquisitions in ATI, Cyrenix, and SCAN. These acquisitions bolstered its presence in the water quality and pressure measurement markets, and combined with its expertise in flow measurement, allows for some interesting, actionable insights for utilities. You can learn more about Badger Meter and its smart water solutions at badgermeter.com, but for now, we're going to go to our interview with Matt Stivenberg. He is the Vice President of Software and Water Quality for Badger Meter. Matt has now joined us on the call. Thanks for being here, Matt. Great. No, thanks for having me on today, Bob. Really looking forward to uh, to the discussion. Yeah, I the smart water thing is really interesting because I remember several years ago when I went one of, one of my first aces that I went to, Badger Meter's smart water branding was everywhere. <laughs> I remember it just being a huge buzzword. Could you describe like how does Badger Meter view that? How do you come come to that uh, that word and that that terminology, and what does it mean for you as a company? Yeah, and I think that term means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Uh, as we approached it five plus years ago, it was really around, uh, you know, advanced metering analytics, and it was around smart metering, and and it was taking that that meter, uh, and applying some smarts to the data which was coming back, the frequency of data that was going to be there, and taking a look at really something beyond just a bill, um, and. And in some ways, those of us who are really in the industry have probably been inundated with smart water now for so many years that it's lost a little bit of its its punch and its edge, while really, I think, being at a time of which water is getting significantly smarter. And, and I think it can mean really anything from you know, some distributed sensors in a network or AMI smart metering or analytics on top of it, all the way to full-on digital twins. And, and while AI... I think is maybe a little overused in the industry right now, really, you know, kind of that burgeoning industry on, on how we start taking multiple data streams together to get insights of which we would not have had before. So I, I think for, for people of whom were outside the industry or not quite as, as in the ACE scene, uh, smart water may still be somewhat new. And I think there's a heck of a lot of growth, even on basic analytics, uh, but also the, the top end of the industry for smart water is just uh, blowing out right now. Yeah, and I see it all the time. I think this di- whole movement toward digitization and data understanding and like using that to inform decisions and making better decisions has become a really popular thing to talk about. And kind of is like to your point, become kind of an undercurrent rather than the top of the of, of everything. Um, but I think that it's I think the more that we move toward this realm of new technology, you're seeing, like you mentioned, AI and machine learning is also there. The more these other things get piled on, it starts to come bubble back up to the surface, it seems like. And I think the interesting part to to recognize is that the industry you know, makes purchasing decisions in, in durations of, of decades, right? So the mm-hmm. ability for a whole industry to turn over into quote unquote smart it doesn't happen at the same time. So, so as much as some customers have just recently transitioned from a walk-by metering system to a drive-by, you know, others are already into full cellular deployed smart water networks uh, with multiple high-frequency pressure transducers throughout the network and, and really looking to bring it 
to the, the to the pinnacle of where we can be. So you you end up with this very broad distribution of what point of that technology curve uh, mm -hmm. people are really at. And I think that's an interesting challenge for the water industry that you wouldn't get in general consumer tech or something else where those curves and crossing that chasm on tech adoption happens in a much more seamless manner. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of those technologies, you mentioned a couple of different things for metering technology that's changed over the couple of years. Could you talk about the evolution of that and what can today's water meters tell us that maybe yesterday's couldn't have? Absolutely. And I think it, it's, you know, it's really comes down to choice matters and the fact that, you know, if you still want to purchase a, a robust, reliable mechanical water meter, they're available and they're going to give you that reliable bill but I can connect it now to a piece of radio technology, which is gonna get you, even from that mechanical meter, 15 minute interval data presented back to a cloud-based platform where you don't have to go out and ever read that meter. So you've got an option all the way from that standpoint, still using tried and true metering technology, which has been around for 120 years, all the way to now the, the latest advancements in ultrasonic technology, where I'm not only getting a consumption of how much water I've used to generate a bill, but I'm also getting flow rate alarms. I'm getting empty pipe alerts. I'm getting temperature. I can even get pressure back from the meters now. So in that same device of which I'm purchasing to really generate a bill to run my utility operations as that cash register, I'm also now able to get very sensor-like information back from the deepest reaches of my utility, you know, spend in, in my utility installation. So, uh, you know, significant advancements in what I can now get back from it. And it really depends on how the utility looks at leveraging those assets. Is, is it of utmost importance to simply generate a bill? Or, you know, are we looking at, at solving other operational problems uh, that can now be done with that same meter? Yeah. Well, you mentioned a couple of things there. One was the radio signal thing, but previously you mentioned cellular signals as well. Could you talk about the benefits of using a cell signal? And is, is that the same as like an actual cell phone's cell signal? Yeah. So, so a lot of it now is how we get the signal back from the devices that are in the field. And I think that's a huge advancement of which has allowed for smart water to really take hold. Uh, so whether that had been short range RF signals of which someone could do a drive-by system to then fixed network systems, uh, LP WAN, low power wide area networks, uh, but really uh, we believe that cellular uh, is, is really the way to go. There's no infrastructure to be installed by the utility. So if you wanted to go and deploy an AMI system, if you wanted to go deploy a pressure sensor, if you wanted to go deploy a water quality uh, installation, that cellular network's already there. A water utility typically aren't experts in maintaining network assets, RF signals, vertical assets of which to install a collector on. That's not the strength of a water utility. So leverage the network providers that are already there, your AT&Ts, your Verizons, you know, these network providers of whom have a vested interest in maintaining that network reliably, robust. If you have a, a natural disaster come through, that is going to be the first thing that gets back reestablished instead of you as a utility trying to scramble to go put your collector network back up. So, um, you know, the, the network itself is leveraging the same assets of which your cell phone is leveraging. So the same towers, everything else but really optimized for a low power, uh, smaller bandwidth and further reach network. So instead of being on that high bandwidth, you know, streaming your, uh, your 4K video, really optimized for getting those small bits of information through that we're pulling back from these sensors that allow us to really get to these remote locations that, uh, that you wouldn't necessarily always even have a signal with your cell phone with. So uh, it is the same but a little different. So it's not always that if you don't have a signal with your cell phone that you won't be able to get your, your reads back. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about just the size of the data chunks that you're probably receiving from a meter compared to like trying to stream your Netflix show. They're just, they're not the same. It's going to be so much smaller from a meter, right? Absolutely. And that allows us to just get that much further out away from the uh, the cell tower as well, which gets us, I mean, significant uh, ability to get really almost ubiquitous coverage uh, almost everywhere we go with with these products and services. Mm -hmm. So over the past couple of years, I know that Badger Meter has also been involved in some acquisitions. You brought in some more water quality side of things too. You're really making a push on the water quality market. Could you talk about the intersection of that metering side and flow measurement with the water quality side of things? And what does that mean for Badger Meter? And why is that such an important thing for you guys to push forward on? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it really was a strategic push three to four years ago uh, with Badger as we looked at where the metering technology was going and a little bit of what I talked about earlier in the discussion on that meter isn't just backhauling a flow consumption on a quarterly basis anymore. We're now getting temperature, pressure, flow rate, uh, empty pipe alarms, all these things of which are actually in some ways portions of water quality. If you think about temperature and flow, that now gets you water age. So if I can look at how my water is moving through the network and at what temperature it's moving through, that's already an important parameter with regard to how my hydraulics are working, what I might have for chlorine decay. And now with the backhaul, data backhaul technologies, like we talked about with cellular, it allows me to pull through that data I've got with the meter, plus some distributed water quality information to really enhance that picture for what's going on after that water's left my water treatment works and between where it gets to my consumer's tap. So as a water utility, I can start to fill in a lot of these blind spots in my network by leveraging my AMI information alongside of that water quality information from some strategic points throughout my distribution network to help me understand my chlorine decay, uh, if I've got an issue going on from valve maintenance, if I even have a portion of my network that I forgot to open back up after some maintenance was done, you can start to see some of those things in the water quality information that that I really wouldn't have had insights or access to otherwise. So it's an interesting nexus of information that as we look at extending beyond the meter into network operations, Uh, I think there's significant opportunity to then apply some more data science to all this as well to really help the utility understand the network and better serve uh, their constituents. Man, that the data science, just hearing you talk about that, the data science element of that is very, very cool. Um, Just the idea of correlating those pieces together in a way that hasn't really been able to be correlated very well before and in much quicker timeframes. I think is also really fascinating and can be lead to some really interesting decisions for utilities to make. Absolutely. And, and, and I think the, you know, this isn't an implication of utilities not understanding their operations, but there are portions of which, you know, if you're relying just on SCADA in-plant information, you know, you may end up learning things about your own network that you've been operating for a hundred plus years that kind of change some of the fundamental, you know, ideas about how your network's operating. And if all you've been relying upon is you know, lab-based samples or, you know, course collection data flow rate, there's a heck of a lot of things going on in that network during those times of which you aren't monitoring for. And it's not to say that every utility is going to have issues that are surfaced and boring water quality data is the best water quality data, right? We we like nice straight level uh, water quality data lines, but uh, it's those times when, when something happens of which uh, you would have otherwise been blind to where I think the real value uh, gets expressed. And quite frankly, even monitoring boring data just to confirm and, and provide that confidence that that yes, everything is operating exactly how we thought it is in the network. Yeah. What about like emerging trends and stuff? What are you seeing in the water quality monitoring sector? How are you guys working to deliver solutions that can meet the needs of that particular portion of the industry? 
Yeah, and obviously you can't talk water quality without talking PFAS and lead, and, and those are on the top of everyone's everyone's mind. Uh, and they're absolutely emerging trends. They are not uh, things of which we focus on uh, to be completely out and out. PFAS, from my standpoint, is very much a source water problem, and it's a remediation problem. You know, PFAS at this point has permeated almost all of our water supplies, and it's really about how do I take it out of those water supplies at source. And so it's a treatment issue. And right now, badger meter really isn't in treatment. Uh, lead is is actually the opposite, right? So lead is the the last you know hundred feet or last you know quarter mile. It's really those laterals going into the home of which doing inline online monitoring for is going to be very difficult, but we can help that utility make sure that their pH or their orthophosphate dosing or their corrosion control methodologies and the water chemistry doesn't promote leaching of that lead out of the pipes. So I think it's about control what you can replace and you know remove as possible with these bad, bad chemicals. So I think those are two big topics in water quality, but then the other part and really the area where we can address is how Really, even in talking about our most recent acquisition in Cyrenix, but high-frequency pressure monitoring and network monitoring in general plays with water quality, plays with flow to create that whole solution. And looking at you know, how can I make sure I'm not causing bad effects within my network, whether that's pressure transients or water quality events, uh, and being notified of things occurring in the network. And then the last piece I would reference is just even on the collection side, right? So if we talk the adjacency to where water is used, not just on how it's being distributed to, to the homeowner or to the industrial user or commercial complex, but what's coming out the other side into the sewerway. Do I have some monitoring from that standpoint to protect my wastewater treatment plant? If I'm going to have a, a discharge of a chemical that's going to kill off my, uh, my, my treatment uh, train, or even just pH violations from industrial users and making sure that, that what is going into that sewerway is something of which I'm comfortable with and that that is making it into the treatment works appropriately. And we've seen significant uh, reductions in non-compliances by people, uh, by municipalities and utilities putting in monitoring to hold the industrial users uh, really accountable to what's coming down that sewerway as well. So, um, and then I'll, one last one, but water reuse, I think is another big topic, right? So how, how water treatment can be localized into a point of not putting it back out, solution the, uh, Pollution, dilution being the solution to pollution is something <laughs> that we need to uh, to address, right? So it's, it's how do I better use what I've already treated? Uh, every drop of water that we drink has already been through plenty of people's waste cycles. And I think getting people comfortable with the concept that the water we have is the water we've had for millions of years, right? And, and it's, we have to be accountable for it. How do we reuse it? How do we make sure it's uh, staying where we need it? Yeah, that's all really, I'm glad you brought up those other applications, like the wastewater and collection side, it, they, they need monitoring just as much as anyone else. And then the water reuse thing, this is going to be a huge picture, both on the water quality and flow measurement side yep. to make sure you're making the most of every drop, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, to that point, what how does that dovetail with the desire for utilities and your customers to be more resilient with their utilities? How, how does, it seems like there's like a really good confluence of all of that coming together there. Absolutely. And, and and I think even some of that resiliency comes down to power consumption and usage as well. So when you look at how much cost is driven into utility operations, a significant portion of that is in pumping as well. And so if I if I don't have to, if more of what I pump gets to the end user, so going back to non-revenue water and some of the leak detection and burst detection uh, applications that we've got, if, if I can cut my non-revenue water from 30% down to 20%, I'm now both pulling less out of my reservoirs, which might be dropping right now due to water scarcity. 
Uh, but I'm also optimizing how much power I'm using and not having to pump water that doesn't get to a build uh, a billing meter at, at the end of it. So I think there's resiliency there. There's resiliency with regard to the actual network health, right? I put an asset in the ground. I put a pipe in the ground. I'm expecting that to live for at least its design life. And if it's a 75-year design life for a piece of cast iron pipe, I don't want that failing in 50 years. So making sure that I'm not putting harmful transients into that pipe to cause that to degrade earlier you know, something that we certainly look at leveraging the, the Cyrenix products and services pipe minder in really that high frequency pressure monitoring. Um, yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of different angles to resiliency, whether that's, you know, actual the quality of the water itself, the assets in the ground, the optimization of power for how it can make sure that I'm, I'm having a reasonable bill for my constituents as well. So I think a lot of times we talk about water, but in, in a lot of areas, water is expensive, right? And, and, really expensive for certain portions of the population. So how do we make sure as much as we talk about smart that, that we're deploying dollars in a manner of which still keeps it reasonable to get clean drinking water to everyone? Yeah. Well, and again, just go, going back to the idea of like correlating all those data pieces together, like you said, like that that is where the resilience decisions can be made. You can learn yep. so much about your system and even your assets with that. I think that you can make a much more resilient system because you know where your problems lie. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to prioritize a problem that you might not even know is there. Nonetheless, uh, what's what's causing it? Yeah. So how are some of the customers that you have currently using the, these tools and stuff like that? Are there certain ones that you could point to and some some utilities that are using it really effectively? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so uh, internationally, there's a number of customers that have been using these for years and years, but but domestically, we've started to see some really early adopters uh, jump into the whole solution package as well. And, and uh, Galveston down in Texas, while it's not the largest utility ever, uh, very proactive utility, uh, looking at how to best manage a complicated uh, pumping scheme and, and utility operations and recognizing that they had some challenges. So they, they'd been a customer of Cyrenix for years, uh, deploying their pressure monitoring solutions and really making sure they can understand what's going on in the network and finding issues uh, with some of their uh, their pumping stations. Uh, but likewise, they've also chosen Badger Meter uh, with LTEM radios and even flow restriction valves with, with pressure uh, in the meters as well to, to really be able to take full control over their network and, and full visibility all the way down to that end consumptive meter and as of even just a couple of weeks ago, we've now installed uh, street level water quality monitoring, leveraging Metronet uh, solutions to do, I think we've got six parameter water quality monitoring at four different uh, sites throughout their network, real time, inline, online uh, water quality measurements that we'll be backhauling through Beacon, uh, our software as a service solution, right alongside of all that pressure data, uh, alongside of all the flow consumption data to really start uh, working with and seeing all of the insights and interactions together and, and really now, the utility knew they had a few problems that they were looking to address, and that's where these are going to start shoring up those those areas for them. So, um, you know, it's a little bit early for us in in in, in the adoption of it, but we're really seeing some interest uh, in how these can come together and the problems that they can actually solve for the utility. Yeah. So, well, it I'm always amazed at how well when when you bring in all these different disparate pieces, how well you're able to connect all of them together and make them talk to each other yep. <laughs> and make it like useful that they're all talking to each other. And it sounds like Beacon's been a really great way to make sure that everything's talking well. Absolutely. And the insights are only going to continue to grow as we get more data sets in as well and work with the utilities. And I think that's a, a an important part here is these aren't just, you know, deploy and forget uh, products when it comes to some of the more analytical piece of equipment. And it's really forming a partnership with that utility on how can we help you know them solve the problems of which they're making a significant investment in in deploying this, 
but also when you look at the spend for an AMI system, it's one of the larger deployments that, that a utility can spend on. How do I maximize those dollars, right? If, if all I'm doing is using that to generate a bill, when I can be enhancing it with a relatively modest spend to be pulling in other data and insights along it, I think that just makes sense for the utility to look at how can I get every drop of value out of that AMI deployment. Yeah. Well, fascinating. Thank you so much, Matt, for talking with us through all this. There's a lot of really cool things that you guys are working on, and I'm really excited to see more more utilities adopt this and sh and really stress test what you guys are ca actually capable of doing and pushing things to into whole new areas and ways of use. Absolutely. No, it's a, it's an exciting time in the industry, and, and I know the, the water industry is typically slow moving, risk averse, but I, I do feel like we're we're hitting a bit of an inflection point in really the adoption on these technologies. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. I appreciate you having the, taking the time and talking with us. Great. Appreciate it, Bob. Always, always enjoy it. To learn more about BadgerMeter and its smart water technologies, you can visit badgermeter.com. We'll include a link to that in our show notes and the description on the website so you can get to it much more easily. Thanks again, Matt, for taking the time to speak with me and to talk to us all about smart water, what it means for Badger Meter, what it means for the future of the industry as a whole, even. Just understanding how we can correlate different data points that have often been disparate or not connected to each other and making newer, interesting decisions that will solve actual big problems that we never even knew existed. So fantastic and really fascinating stuff. On to housekeeping. For Waterworld, I would encourage you to visit waterworld.com magazine to check out our latest magazine issues, including some articles and case studies from Badger Meter that you don't want to miss. For Wastewater Digest, please visit our YouTube channel and subscribe, youtube.com slash at Wastewater Digest. We have new videos coming out regularly, and we have a whole host of videos on there already, more than 100 that you could listen to of industry professionals since 2020. And lastly, for Stormwater Solutions, please register for StormCon. Go to stormcon.com to register today. The event is August 29th through 31st at the Sheraton in Dallas, Texas. And you don't want to miss it if you are a stormwater professional. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can also reach us at talkingunderwater at endeavorb2b.com to share your thoughts. And also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUWpodcast. Thanks for listening.